So, as I mentioned, we've been working our way through uh, this series of messages and studies on the theme of freedom in Christ, or liberty, living in liberty. And uh, just to quickly refresh your memory, there are seven steps in this workbook uh, by Neil Anderson that many of you have received now, or at least seen one or two pages of if you've been here uh, to visit any time over the last two months. The seven steps uh, go like this, and they really amount to one one reality or experience against another, okay? So the first one is counterfeit religion or religious experiences versus real. The second step has to do with deception versus truth. The third step, bitterness versus forgiveness. The fourth step, rebellion versus submission. The fifth step, pride versus humility. And that brings us then to the sixth step, which is bondage versus freedom. Now, we'll conclude this series next week with the last of the seven steps, which is on the subject of curses versus blessings. So this morning, we're going to focus on step number six, again, which deals with areas of of bondage to habitual sin in our lives. Many years ago, I remember hearing John Wimber speak and watching a video that was uh, later put out Uh, of the talk that he was known to give on many occasions that maybe some of you have seen this video as well. The the DVD was titled, or the talk, the message that he gave was titled, Whose Fool Are You? And the whole focus of the talk was about the notion that we're all somebody's fool. The question, uh, the real question is, whose fool are you going to be? And wouldn't you rather be a fool for Christ than somebody else's fool? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a fascinating question, and, and John did a great job of unpacking that, that concept. I want to steal the idea with a tip of my hat uh, to John. If I had one on, I'd tip it officially. But uh, I, I want to change the question just a little bit or rephrase it, if I may, and put it to you this way. Whose slave are you? Whose slave are you? Now, before you object to the very idea of that question, that you could possibly be anyone's slave, let's be clear about the scenario that Paul puts before us in Romans 6. We're going to dig into this, you know, over the next uh, 30 minutes or so. But I, I just quickly, right here and now, if you take Paul's words at face value in Romans 6, and if you understand the premise behind them, perhaps you've already realized that there are really only two choices on the table. Either you are a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. Those are the only two options available. We are no longer meant, as followers of Jesus, to live as slaves to sin, but as slaves to Christ Jesus instead. Now, admittedly, uh, right now this, this idea of slavery might not sound very appealing, right? It's a word that's filled with lots of negative connotations. We've, we've all learned in our history classes about the evil of slavery, not just here in our own nation in the early years, but in other parts of the world as, as well. But what I want you to recognize with me right from the outset is that Paul was very familiar with the institution of slavery And he wrote using this analogy on purpose. 
because it was familiar not only to him, but to all of his readers. So Paul, recognizing the evil that slavery represented in his own culture, didn't avoid the analogy, he used it. And I trust that he used it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So despite all the negative connotations that come along with the word slavery, I want you to do your best with me this morning to try to think of it in a, in a positive way. Because the, the implication of Paul's words here in Romans 6 really amount to this. The best thing that you could ever do with your life is to live it as a slave to Christ. That's a remarkable reality for us to think about. So we have to find a way to get around the negative connotations of the word slave if we actually want to find it appealing to give ourselves as slaves or servants of Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about uh, slavery, what it is, what it represents, how it works, and why Paul chose this concept uh, and, and really drilled it home to us in, here in Romans 6. Did you notice how often he repeated the word? In fact, there are really two words that are repeated again and again and again throughout this entire passage, multiple times. One is the word slave, and the other is the word offer, the concept of offering yourselves. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So let's begin by talking about the dynamic of offering ourselves in slavery to sin first and what that looks like, and then we'll turn our attention to the possibility of serving a much better master than sin. So here's the starting point, I think. As you think about this passage with me this morning, let's recognize together that, that Paul's explaining and defining a fundamental truth about the, about the human condition. Now, I understand, right, that you know, philosophers and theologians and, and skeptics down through the ages might disagree with this premise, but I think this isn't just Paul's idea. I believe this is how God sees humanity. This is how God understands the human condition. And here's what it amounts to. Whenever people voluntarily give their lives to habitual practices of disobedience to God, they are enslaved to sin. Now, of, of course, sin is not a popular concept to talk about anymore. It's not politically correct to identify anyone, even yourself, as a sinner. And yet, this is fundamentally the truth that Scripture confronts us with. So we have to deal with it. I want you to notice with me, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, the repetition that Paul uses in this passage to compare and contrast two basic realities or experiences that are available to us. The first one is slavery to sin, and the other one is slavery to Christ, or by extension, obedience to Christ. So on the one hand, we have slavery to sin, which Paul references at least four or five times. And then on the other hand, we have what Paul refers to as slavery to Christ, which is synonymous, again, with slavery to obedience. Paul uses some different terms here interchangeably or synonymously. As a case in point, with regard to the question that I posed a moment ago, whose slave are you? Look with me at verse 16. Romans 6, verse 16. It's a question. My paraphrase of the question is this. Whose slave are you? Here's the way that Paul puts it. 
Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to disobedience, or to to obedience, I'm sorry, not disobedience, to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Don't you know? Don't you know there's a choice to be made? Don't you know there's a fundamental distinction to be be made between these two options, these two choices? Which one will you offer yourself to? As a slave to sin or as a slave to Christ? Now, before we get to those two opposing options and talk a little bit more about each of those, let let me backtrack just for a brief moment to observe something about the word offer. As I mentioned a moment ago, that's the other word that's repeated again and again throughout this passage, and there's some significance to it. I think that what Paul's driving at here is a particular form of slavery that he was familiar with in the Roman Empire and that even existed back among the Hebrew or the Israelite people a long time before the Roman Empire appeared on the scene. What he's talking about is the notion, the idea that in some circumstances, slavery can actually be voluntary, not involuntary. We're all familiar, right, with the evil kind of slavery that's represented by someone involuntarily being taken captive and held against their will and forced to serve another human being. That's evil. And whenever it's appeared throughout human history, it's It's wreaked havoc upon the lives of those that were forced into a life of slavery. But I think what Paul's actually hinting at here with his use of the word offer is this idea of voluntary slavery. Voluntary slavery. Let me remind you, if you're not uh, remembering here, or maybe make you aware if you're not familiar, that in Paul's cultural context... Slavery was not always forced. In the Roman Empire, sometimes, believe it or not, slavery was actually chosen by people. For in the Roman culture of Paul's day, it was not entirely uncommon for people to voluntarily offer themselves as slaves to a master for the repayment of a debt. Now, thankfully, this doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen. It's not allowed in our culture. But in Paul's day, slavery could be involuntary. You could be taken captive and held captive and forced into a life of slavery. But it could also be voluntary. As when a person chose to offer themselves to a master and thereby to give up their right to freedom, becoming a servant to their master in order to repay a debt. In our language, here in America, this is known as indentured servitude. The term that was used for it in the Roman Empire is nexum. Nexum. Nexum was a debt bondage contract wherein the debtor pledged his personal service as collateral if he were to default on a loan. So think of it like this, if I can just give you a you know, kind of a contemporary analogy, although this doesn't happen, and thank the Lord it shouldn't happen. But let's say you went down to your local bank, you know, like MSU, FCU, to get a loan, and you took out a loan from the bank, and you had to sign, like, you know, 
you have to sign. You have to, you have to put collateral on a loan, right? So that if you default on the loan, the payment of the loan, the bank receives the collateral. Imagine if instead of using a possession as collateral, you could actually sign away your personhood, your life as collateral, okay? So you take out a loan from the bank, you want to buy uh, a new car or a house or something. Somehow you fall behind, you can't make the payments. And what happens is, if you've offered your life as collateral on the debt and you can't repay it, the bank claims you as its servant. That's how this works, okay? And you have willingly, voluntarily offered yourself as a servant in order to repay the debt. I think that that's the idea that Paul has in mind here because he repeatedly uses the word, offer yourself. Do you, are you offering yourself as a servant or slave to sin? Or are you offering yourself as a servant or slave to Christ? The choice is yours. Now, with that in mind, here's the difficulty with Paul's words that we need to pay extra close attention to. How does this spiritual reality of becoming a slave to Christ actually impact our behavior, right? It's an interesting idea theologically to think about. I've become, through, through, through nature, of, through, uh, through the essence of my commitment to follow Jesus, believing in him and, and what he's done for me at the cross, I have become a slave to Christ. We can all maybe affirm intellectually that we understand the concept of that. But I think the real challenge here. And the one that Paul's really driving at has to do with how that changes your behavior. How does it impact your measure of obedience? Are you living as a servant of Christ in obedience to him? Or are you living, are you still living, even though you're saved, are you still enslaved to sin? Are you still living, offering yourself, the members of your body, in service to sin? That's the question that Paul is posing for each and every one of us. And while Paul's words emphasize these two different different masters that can rule our lives, in the realm of our everyday experience, I think it's, it's not that we are entirely a slave to sin or entirely a slave to Christ, The truth is, it's like a continuum, and we're always somewhere in the middle, right? Think of a a line with two points on either end. Down here, on this end of the line, is slave to sin, and down, down here, on this end of the continuum, is slave to Christ. Where are you living? What do your actions demonstrate? Are you in slavery to sin or are you in slavery to Christ? Well, the truth is, for most of us, we're probably somewhere in the middle, right? Hopefully moving in the direction of Christ, hopefully growing in obedience, hopefully growing in character, growing in in holiness. In most Christian circles, um, theologians refer to this process that I'm describing to you as sanctification. It's the act of becoming more holy through obedience to Christ. It's not that we're saved by obedience. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the challenge before us as followers of Christ is to grow in obedience. 
right? To become slaves to Christ through obedience to him. Now, I trust that we all know what it means and what it feels like to be a slave to sin because that's where we've all come from, right? That's a common experience that all of us should be able to relate to. Perhaps in some way you can identify an area of your life where you'd say you're still enslaved to sin and working on breaking free with God's help. The point is, at one time or another, in each one of our lives, we've all had this experience. We can all relate to the concept of what it means to be a slave to sin. We know what it feels like to be stuck in a certain pattern of self-destructive or indulgent behavior and not be able to get out by ourselves. I love the term, actually, that John Wimber used to use when he talked about this, and he talked about it in the, in the context of discipleship, sanctification, discipleship. All these terms work together, right, to describe the process at work in our lives. John used to say this about discipleship. He used to say, discipleship is the process of replacing habits of unrighteousness with habits of righteousness. Isn't that helpful? I think that's such a beautiful way of describing the process that we're, we're all in. God is inviting us into a life of servanthood, slavery to Christ by way of obedience. To be a slave to Christ is to be a slave to obedience. To be a slave to obedience is to be a slave to righteousness, right? And you see the connection between these words throughout the passage They're all interrelated concepts. That's the invitation before us. But it's a process to get there. We have to replace those habits of unrighteousness with habits of righteousness in our lives. So this is really about learning and putting into practice what it means to live for and to serve a new master, right? We used to be slaves to sin. Now we are Slaves, we've been made slaves to Christ, and we have to figure out how to live that out. There's a famous song. I don't know if I should try to sing it or not, because I'd probably embarrass myself, but you might get a laugh out of it anyway. It's, uh, it's the old, memorable Bob Dylan song, right? No, I won't try it. <laughs> I was going gonna to try to muster up my best Bob Dylan You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That was terrible. But you got the idea. (laughs) So the idea behind that lyric, I think, is, is reminiscent of Romans 6, right? I don't know if that's where Bob Dylan got it, but, but that's exactly what Paul's saying. You've got to serve somebody. Who's it going to be? Are you serving sin or are you serving Christ? Are you serving the devil or are you serving the Lord? And friends, the question for each one of us to face right here and now is, who are we really serving? Who are we acting in obedience to? And are there parts or pieces of our lives, if we're really honest with ourselves, with the Lord, maybe with each other, 
Are there parts and pieces of our lives where we're actually still living in obedience to sin, which is disobedience to Christ? You see, here's the idea, right? The truth is that we have been given our freedom. We've been granted our freedom from sin by our faith in Christ. And yet we still find ourselves living in obedience to the wrong master sometimes. Can you relate to what I'm, what I'm describing? Anybody? Are, you, are we willing to admit this? Hello? Let me, let me share a story with you. And I shared this way back at the beginning of the series, but I couldn't find, I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. And I finally found it. And I want to share it to you with all the appropriate details. It's a great story from European history. And it's told by a historian and author named Thomas Costain. And in his book on European history, he relates a story about a 14th century duke named Reynald, who was the, the king of a particular kingdom and was overthrown by his younger brother, Edward. So what, what did Edward do when he took the throne? He built a special room for Reynald in the castle, And he promised his brother that his title and property would all be restored to him as soon as he was able to leave that room. Now, this would have been easy for most people to do because the room had several windows and a door of normal size. You could get out the windows. There were not bars on them. You could get out the door. It was not locked. But here was the problem. The problem was Reynold's size. You see, for Reynald, was addicted to food. And so what his brother did is he placed a banquet table full of food in the room with his brother. The door was open. The windows were open. Reynald was free to leave whenever he could, whenever he wanted to. He was not held in captive by the doors or by the windows, by the room, He was held captive by his own addiction. He couldn't leave the room because he couldn't say no to the food. So what happened is Edward knew, of course, that Reynald could not resist food. Every day he would send a variety of delicious food to his brother. And instead of losing weight to get out of the prison, Reynald just grew fatter and fatter. When Edward was accused of cruelty, he had a ready answer. My brother's not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he wants. It's up to him. He can leave whenever he wills to leave. And Reynald stayed in that room for 10 years. 10 years he was captive to his own appetite. And he wasn't released until after his brother, Edward, had died in battle. By then, of course, his health had so deteriorated that he died a short time later, within a year of his release. So the point of this illustration is that Reynald, by his own choice, offered himself as a slave to food, to the addiction of food in his life. He was held captive by his own desires, not by the room that he lived in. 
And, and I, I share that story with you because I think it's a sad but, but fitting analogy for the way that many people who are in Christ live from day to day. You see, the, the, the sad reality is many people who are in Christ have been given their freedom and yet they're not living it out. They're choosing to remain a slave to sin instead of offering themselves as slaves to Christ. They're free, but they're not free at the same time. There are no bars on the door, but their addiction to certain habits of unrighteousness still holds power and mastery over their lives. In other words, as Paul puts it, people are still offering themselves as slaves to the one that they're obeying, which is not Christ. Let me tell you by way of example about a man I used to know uh, quite well, used to be a member of our church. I won't name him, but many of you will be familiar with this story. It's public knowledge, and he's not ashamed to share it himself, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing it with you. This man, uh, for many years, was a member of our church, faithful attender, um, a believer in Jesus, a self-declared follower of Jesus, and he was addicted to alcohol for many years. In fact, I remember on one occasion having to pay him a pastoral visit at the emergency room because his blood alcohol level was so high that he was on the verge of death. That's how bad his addiction was. Now, my point in sharing this with you is that there was a gap, a gap, right, between his belief in Christ and his practice of obedience to Christ. He believed that Jesus was his Lord and Savior, but he wasn't living as a slave to Christ, at least not in that one particular area of his life. Whose slave was he? He was a slave to the bottle. In some sense, he was in the process of breaking free from that enslavement to sin and becoming more and more enslaved to Jesus. I believe, right, at the time that I knew him in this state, that he was genuinely saved, that he was a Christian. He was saved from the eternal consequences of his addiction to alcohol, and yet he was still suffering with the present consequences of his addiction to alcohol. His experience of freedom in Christ had to be pursued. It had to be worked at with God's help, not as if it was all up to him to just try a little harder. Over time, he had to be freed from the practice of serving the bottle instead of serving Jesus. That's how this works. And the point is, are you ready for this? Okay, I'm, I'm going to pull it out here. We all have our addictions. Some are nicer than other, others. Some are more pleasant than others. Some are, you know, seemingly less evil than others. But we all have our addictions. Those things that make us feel better in the moment, right? And I'm not talking about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Maybe for some it's eating, like, like Reynald, Right? Maybe for some, it's drinking, like this man I was just, just describing. Maybe for some, it's watching TV or playing video games. 
And I could, go, I could make a, a whole long list of things that we give ourselves to to make ourselves feel better in the moment. Listen to way, the way that Paul describes this conflict, this ongoing conflict in our lives in the very next chapter. I love Romans chapter 7 because I think it's so relatable for each one of us, right? Christ has done all this great stuff for me, and yet here's how I struggle. That's <laughs> essentially what Paul's saying. Romans 7, 21 to 25, he writes, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. You see, I think what Paul's describing is the reality that, it, that we're, we're constantly caught in the tension between these two realities. And we're, we're, we have to work at living out the freedom in Christ that we've been offered. It's a spiritual reality. It has been declared through the work of Christ on the cross that we have been set free from sin. But we have to choose to live that out in obedience to Christ. Here's a startling definition for you, a little, a little further, further along in Paul's letter to the Romans. If this insight doesn't release a little conviction on your life, then um, nothing will. Romans 14.23. Do you know how Paul defines sin? Anybody know this one by heart? Romans 14.23? You might want to remember this. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Do you think we have a problem? Everything that does not come from faith is sin. So when sin is still your master... It's not that you're incapable of doing anything good. It's that you're incapable of doing everything good. You know the difference? Whether we are self-aware enough to realize it or not, there are patterns of behavior in our lives, habits of unrighteousness that actually rule our lives from day to day. And try as we might to break free, sin has a genuine and enticing power over our lives, over our flesh, that causes us to do things that are not God's best for us. But the remarkable and life-changing claim of Scripture is that the only way any person can ever truly be free from sin is by offering themselves as a servant to Christ instead. Which one will it be? So again, the question for each of us to answer is this. What are we still addicted to besides Jesus himself? What are we offering ourselves to as slaves? Here's a radical thought for you, an insight that that just might shake your comfort level a little bit this morning if I haven't done that already. Whatever you're addicted to has you in bondage. And the only thing truly worthy of being addicted to, in bondage to, 
The only thing healthy and good that you can be addicted to and in bondage to is Jesus himself. So let's keep moving our lives in the direction of greater submission and obedience to Jesus as master. So that brings me then to this, this second, and the, the rest of it's going to go a little quicker here, trust me. Um, slaves of, here's the second insight regarding what it means to be a slave to Christ, right? That's a lot of back, uh, background information about being slaves to sin. Slaves to Christ, on the other hand, are meant to be voluntary, uh, voluntarily giving their lives to obedience, which leads to righteousness. That's the essence of what it looks like and what it means to be a slave to Christ. It means you have chosen to place Jesus as the master or the Lord of your life. And you might notice I added this little phrase, meant to be, right? That goes along with everything that I've been saying already. I did this because, as I've already described, there's an important and notable difference or gap between placing our faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and actually living in obedience to Christ, which is the definition of being his slave. As most of us have experienced, and as Paul eloquently described in Romans 7, there's this, this ongoing struggle between, within each one of us um, between the desires of the flesh and the desire to honor and obey Jesus. So like the man that I was describing a little while ago, there are some of us here this morning who are well aware, I would say, that we are still a work in progress. And perhaps if you, again, if you're completely honest with yourself, with the Lord, and, and with other people that care about you genuinely, uh, you might admit that there are certain areas of your life where you're still living as if you're a slave to sin and not to Christ. Maybe, let me just give you some examples, just so you can kind of wrap your head around uh, how this works itself out in practical terms. Maybe it's the practice of lying. And on some occasions, to make yourself look better than uh, reality really is, you use lies to cover reality. Maybe for some, it's the practice of coveting, wanting what others have, being consumed with a materialistic desire or greed for things that you don't really need but that you really want. Maybe for some, it's something like the the prayerlessness of self-reliance. I can take care of myself. I don't need God's help. I'm good. Maybe for others, it's the practice of sexual sins, including lust or the use of pornography. In the case of one person I know, the addictive practice of choice was actually shopping. Think about this. Shopping, we all need to go shopping, right? But what if shopping became your addiction of choice? What if every time you felt badly about yourself, you needed to go buy something new to make yourself feel better? I know somebody like that. And she accumulated thousands of dollars of debt as a result of that addiction. Every time she needed to feel good about herself, she had to buy something new. For other people I've known, the sinful practice uh, hardest to break free from was living with extreme anxiety or fear. 
I know one uh, dear sister in Christ who for many years could not bring herself to drive on the highway because she was so afraid that that fear consumed her. She would take back roads to get everywhere she needed to go until finally she experienced freedom in Christ and was able to drive without that fear. I offer you these as some examples because whatever the case, right, the, the great news is, and this is what Paul's writing about in Romans 6, the great news is that Jesus doesn't just offer us forgiveness for our sins. He does offer that, and that's fantastic. But he also offers us a way to experience freedom from the power of sin at work in our lives. Its ongoing grip over our lives can be broken. And that pathway involves fundamentally changing our mindset and our allegiance. Essentially, it involves learning to live as a voluntary slave to Christ in obedience to Christ. Listen again to the way that Paul describes this offer that Jesus puts before us in Romans 6, 17 and 18. He says, but thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. What Paul's describing here is a mindset that we have to settle on about our identity. We have to come to terms with the reality that we are no longer slaves to sin. We have been made slaves to righteousness instead. That's the spiritual reality that we're meant to be living into, right? Jesus has done for us and provided for us all that we need to walk in freedom from sin. But we still have to choose to submit ourselves to him as our master in obedience. To be a slave to Christ is to be growing in our experience of freedom, righteousness, and holiness by walking in obedience to Christ. And this is why Paul uses the terms slaves to Christ and slaves to obedience and slaves to righteousness interchangeably throughout the passage. Now, I want you to just one step further here. Notice verse 19, because here's where there's a shift. Here's where there's a shift back to the importance of the choice that we have to make. And I'll close with this. Romans 6, verse 19. Paul says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. And I think the, the language that Paul uses in that verse is so compelling and inviting. Just as you used to do this, now do this instead. Now do this instead. In other words, it's an ongoing choice. Every day, every hour, every moment of our lives, we have to choose to offer ourselves in obedience to Christ. With his help, we can do that. And that's, uh, my friends, that's what step six is all about.